morning, we're going to come back into uh, this whole series on um, recalculating. And uh, today's going to be about truth, which I think is kind of ironic given all that's been happening in the news recently. Um, anywhere from that phrase, alternative facts. Has anybody heard that one that's going around right now? Alternative facts. It, it was um, uh, coined by uh, Kellyanne Conway, which is the counselor to the president, as she was trying to explain some of the false statements that uh, were made um, by the White House press secretary. And on Meet the Press, um, she was saying that Spicer was giving alternative facts, and uh, <laughs> the, um, the reporter was looking across at her going, alternative facts, look, he, this is what he said, alternative facts are not facts, they're falsehoods, <laughs> they're lies, and, and now it's become this whole thing of alternative facts, and uh, the whole the rage about that. It's interesting also, um, in the middle of this, I don't know, I just got a couple emails last night. Hey, Scott, did you see the, the latest Newsweek, I think it is, or Time? Is it Time or Newsweek that has the, the new thing? That is, uh, is Truth Dead is, is the title of it, just big, bold thing. And it's all about, you know, presidency stuff. That's not the fun part. The fun part is actually the editorial, which talks about this concept of whether truth is dead or not. And wrestling with the idea, here, here it is, if somebody believes something, even though it's lies, you're putting a value judgment on their belief. And you shouldn't do that. So then it's not really a lie if they really feel like it's true. And, and that's what the editorial's wrestling with, is how can we tell anybody they're wrong or that they're lying because it's a value judgment and you make them feel bad? And even though it's a lie. Oxford Dictionary just came out with the word of the year. Apparently they do this every year. Apparently I should probably study the dictionary some more. But um, they came up with the word for the year. Post-truth was 2016's word of the year. I don't know how Oxford Dictionary got to that point, but that was their word. Post-truth. As in, we are beyond truth. No moral absolutes, right? No one telling anybody else what to do. There is no objective standard of right and wrong. We're post-truth. And now it is really, truth is determined by what you feel. So as long as you feel it's true, it's true. So those are the alternative facts. Can you imagine your kid or a kid coming up to a parent going, oh, I didn't tell a lie, that was just alternative facts. Yeah, you can tell your alternative facts as you're grounded, right? I mean, lies, truths. You know, almost, I just have this picture of, right, it's, it's the movie, you know where I'm going, some of you did, right? Some of you were wondering if I was going to do it. I almost did it, but, uh, right, Jack Nicholson, you good men. Everybody say it together. One, two, three. You. <laughs> okay, it was more over here than this side, so I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, <laughs> we should tell those German students that phrase. <laughs> Teach them that instead of take me out to the ballpark. You can't handle the truth. Sorry, that was just a, my mind exporting great American culture as we sing 
take me out to the ball game. Um, you know, what's interesting is you look at truth, it's, uh, it feels new, right? Like we're seeing this happen and it feels new and it feels like it's just us and like, ugh. The reality is it's, this is old. This isn't new. This was happening the moment Adam and Eve said, well, that's your truth, God. This is our truth. That looks really good. And we should eat it. Right? At that moment, they declared, well, there's no absolutes. <laughs> Come on. I feel like this is true for me. It's been around forever. You know, it's something, as we've been going through this series called Recalculating, it, if you're visiting with us, it's the premises, our GPS systems in our phone or in our cars uh, align themselves um, with, there's 24 satellites are in orbit around the Earth, and at any point, your phone is actually in line of sight of four satellites. And so it's always recalculating to make sure it knows where you are on Earth, which is kind of a scary thought, but it also knows where you are in relation to the destination that you've punched in. And then, and when you turn off of that, you get that phrase, recalculating as it tries to give you a new path back to the destination. And the spiritual metaphor is quite obvious as you look at this. God is sending this signal, this is the road. It's a narrow road that leads to life. Stay on this life. Stay on this road, rather. And, and we follow those signals, but what happens in life is we're always getting signals that say, no, go this way or no, go this way. And, and and which ones do we follow? And, and this sermon series is about taking on several, uh, I would say, flashpoints in our culture, uh, of our culture saying, no, go this way, go this way, go this way. In these last three weeks, we've been talking about life, the sanctity of life, sexuality, and, and pornography, and saying, this is the signal God sends out. Are you on that narrow road? Or are you off? And today, we're going to end this series with this topic, truth. And hopefully what we talked about is, you know, the design of this is to frame these previous three messages and, and come to this last one and say, look, all of these hinge on this idea that God says truthful things, absolute things, and that's where we get life, that's where we get direction, that's where we understand authority, that's where we understand foundation, all of those ideas comes from God. And I've been referring to this all, all through these services, you know, these last, well, we do it all the time, but in particular, these last three services, getting getting the teachings out of the word about life and about sexuality and about pornography from here. And what I want to do is spend some time just talking about here. What is, what is here? What is this? And who is God? Because it all hangs on that in our understanding. And if this is really true, then it, it has claims on our life. God has thoughts and concerns possibly about the directions we're going, and we can't just dismiss it all. So we're going to do a quick survey of what the Bible teaches about truth. If you start reading through the Bible, you start to see pretty quickly truth is a big deal to God. 
up on the screen, you, you see several passages here. Isaiah 45 says, God says, I, the Lord, oh yeah, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. I'll read it up here. Isaiah 65 says, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of, actually, you guys say truth, all right? That's your role here. So by the God of, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of, so you see God referring to himself as truth. This is God the Father. I am truth. What I declare is truth. Next statement here, it says this. The psalmist says this. The sum of your word is, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Over and over again, you're going to see a consistent theme in the word that says, God is truth. God the Father is truth. His word is truth. It's not a random verse. It is a consistent theme. Not only that, we then go into John, where it starts to talk about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, right? And it says this, the word, referring to Jesus, who's now the word, which has a lot of meaning, just hearing what we read there in Isaiah, right? Where the word is truth. So it says, and the word, which is Jesus, which he must be truth, embodied, right? The essence of who he is, as being, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and... For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth... Oh, sorry, grace and... Came through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is truth. Truth comes from Christ. But it's not only Jesus, the Spirit... The Holy Spirit is also truth. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. When the Helper, which is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Another chapter later. When the Spirit of comes, he will guide you into all the. The Holy Spirit, the Son, the Father, all are called the truth. It's who they are. It's what comes out of them. It's not only them, but then these words are described as coming from God. So if they're coming from God, then the logical progression is they are true. Here's what Scripture says about itself. Paul says this, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which we, we would call the Old Testament at this point uh, during their time, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So now here's a declaration about the Scripture. All Scripture, all. Now, this is including what is being read right now as being breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This word is the pathway the road that we follow, that we walk on for life, for faith. And it's God-breathed, breathed out, which is truth, to live by. Second passage here says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, which is all of this, comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you see all of this is coming out of God into writings, and, and what it's teaching us is that if it's coming from God, then it is true. 
It's a serious claim. Now, this isn't the only place one could find truth. Because if all truth comes from God, and this contains a lot of truth, but this doesn't contain all the truth, right? I mean, but if you find truth somewhere, you don't have to be threatened by it. Right? Because if it's from God and it's truthful, then you're going to find it everywhere. I mean, that psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So if you find truth about God out there in astronomy, astronomy, it's astronomy, right? We're not, we're not into astrology, right? It's astronomy. Okay, good. I always get those confused, which I need a little truth. Um, so, yeah, astronomy. If you find truth out there in astronomy, if you find it in biology, if you find it in chemistry, if you find it in mathematics, if it's true, guess what? It's from God. It is. It's no big deal. It's great. There's laws in the universe laws that hold this universe together, those are truth-filled laws. They originate from God, even though they're not found in here. We don't have to be afraid of that. The the question, though, is that uh, how do you know that this is true as writings because it's self-referential and and logic, and when you're talking about um, arguing and debate and all those things and the rules of logic, uh, if you have an argument that is self-referential, it is weak. And so you have to then say, okay, well then how do we know that this is true? How was this compiled? How do we know that these writings are the writings from the apostles and, and from Moses? And you go down the line. Two men uh, more recently in my lifetime, one back in the early 70s and one in the later 80s, two different guys, both atheists. One was a lawyer. One was actually a reporter for the law department of the Chicago Sun-Times, um, he was the editor-in-chief of, of the law and what happened in the court systems or whatever. Uh, big paper, I guess. They both, different times in their life, one was back in the early 70s, one was in the late 80s, both set out to disprove this, to say that this book is false. And everything in it, you don't, it's nice, it's great, but it has no authority on truth. That was their goal. And what they did is they did it according to court system rules and protocols. So if you're going to argue a case, you've got to present the evidence, and then the evidence is what leads you to the logical conclusion. Josh McDowell was the guy in the early 70s. He wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Lee Strobel was the guy late in the 80s, and he wrote a, a book called The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for Scripture. And what they ended up doing is they followed the evidence, the secular evidence, not in here, evidence that referred to this and its claims to truth outside of this, and a lot of it was secular as they started looking at what was the evidence out there that would confirm this is the true word of God. These are atheists, and what they concluded, it's interesting, two things happened. They concluded, one, at the end of the day, the evidence is overwhelming that these words are the inspired words from God. What's interesting is that they also then concluded these words, when you start to read through this, the whole message of this Bible points to one must choose what one believes about Christ. It forces you to a place that this scripture, all the way from the beginning to where Christ is, he dies, and then all the way to the end, all points towards Christ and what you do with Christ. And they ended up becoming Christians because the evidence demanded that verdict. 
And we don't have time to go into all the proof texts and how to do all that. I encourage you, check out those books. Either Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel, you can type their name in and, and they'll help steer you and help you understand the evidence that demands that verdict. It's, it's crazy though, you read their stories and they both came to that point where they understood who Jesus was. And it's interesting, Jesus himself said this, John 17, he says, for I have given them the words that you gave me. He's talking to the Father right now, God the Father, he's praying. This is right before he got arrested. And they have received them, they've come to know in, that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. He's talking about these early disciples. And they believe the truth that he came to save the world. That's what he's saying to the Father. Goes on and he says this, for this purpose, oh, he's saying, actually, this is to Pilate, because Pilate's, you know, everybody's accusing you of being the king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says this, for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into this world to bear witness to the, everyone who is of the, listens to my voice. The culmination of God's truth is Christ coming to this earth to save us. All truth points to him. All truth leads to this one response, worshiping Christ and in faith and belief, following him and surrendering control of your life to him. You know, as, as we were talking about this message and as a staff and what this is, and then in actually meeting with Pastor Sean and Norm Pond, he teaches our theology classes here about how does this go and what should we do, and I thought it was going to be more about, hey, let's, let's defend this and let's give some, you know, maybe, hey, think about it this way when you're in conversations, but the longer this month went on and the more conversations I had with people, the more it became apparent that there was this, there is this, um, this yearning uh, in all my conversations of people, I, a yearning, a desire, a relief. Like, tell me I'm not alone in making this stand. Tell me I'm not alone. Like, am I the only one out here that really believes this is still true? Like, am I, am I going crazy here? And over and over, there was just this sense of people feeling isolated because of the culture and all that's hammering us every day. And so I think it's critical we stop here and not talk about how do we defend, and that's important, or potential conversations or hypothetical conversations, but instead, I want to, just as we're praying through this and I was praying through this, I just feel like today is a day where we stop and we say no. After these three weeks, after this morning, we count the cost this morning again on whether or what it's going to cost to take a stand. We count that cost again, and we tell Christ again, with a full knowledge of what's ahead, we'll stand. We'll follow your signal. And so this is that recalculating of, of sending that, God sending the signal saying, hey, this, this is what this narrow road is. You sure you want to drive it? Are you really ready to stay the course? No matter what.
The Bible talks about responses to the truth. In Romans chapter 1, it says this, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's suppress? To subdue, to crush, to quash, to quell, repress. Our country, our world, suppresses truth. If you say yes to truth and, and God's, this, God's singing the signal, it's loud and clear, understand people will want to suppress you. People will exchange the truth for a lie. Romans goes on to say, because they exchange the truth of, about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's not only to suppress it, they will exchange the truth for a lie and they'll say, this is the truth, that's a lie. They'll flip everything upside down. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? People will also walk away. One guy came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know, you need to obey the law of Moses, right? And the guy said, well, I've done all that. And then Jesus said, okay. And then he just got to the heart of the matter, just went right to the zinger, and this guy was wealthy. And he said this. Oh, I don't think that's up there. He said, give away everything you have to the poor and come follow me. And Scripture says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Or he had great possessions. People are going to walk away because they love other things more than the truth. People, another phrase is wander from the truth. A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. These are people that had the truth. These are people that were following the truth. And, he's, and Paul says they wandered away. They didn't like the teaching. And so they wandered away and they found somebody else that would teach this. And, and we're seeing this play out. Whole denominations are wandering. Are you ready for that? People are going to be alarmed by the truth. Paul uh, met, uh, he was arrested for his faith, uh, for preaching about Christ. So this is towards the end of Acts, around Acts chapter 24, I think. And uh, he's arrested by this guy, Felix, who was a governor. Felix was a really bad dude. He's sitting next to his wife, uh, uh, I don't think that's up there. His wife, I wasn't say Priscilla, but it's not Priscilla, Drusilla. Um, she's Jewish, but she's his wife and she's also his sister. Do the math. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. Felix freaked out. He said, get out of here. Get away from me. And when I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. you know, he's freaked out because he started to hear righteousness, truth about righteousness, truth about self-control, truth about a coming judgment. People will be alarmed 
when we start to talk about truth. Paul was in prison two years with Felix just because Felix didn't want to mess with him. Another time Paul was talking to, uh, a couple years later, King Agrippa, Roman king of Lebanon, Galilee, and uh, he was hearing his case. So Paul was telling his story about how he became a Christian and why he follows Christ. And, and at some point in there, as he was saying these things in his defense, Fested said with a loud voice, just, Paul, you're out of your mind. You're going crazy. Your great learning, right, is driving you out of your mind. People, when you start to share truth, people are going to say you're crazy. You, you don't even think straight which is so hard when you know the truth and, it, and the logic makes it follows logic. It follows the logic of persuasion. It follows the rules of, of nature and the universe. And, and you're going, no, 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 no. Logically, this all makes sense. What do you mean I'm going crazy? You're going crazy, but you can't. Go on and, and you see that people were persecuted for the truth, starting with Jesus and then his Prediction, prophecy, guarantee, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They didn't want to hear the truth. And you see that. The early church was blown up by persecution. Spread over the entire world because of persecution, which you think, oh, it's bad, but then God's moving in it. So what do you do with that? People also were martyred for the truth. People would kill others because they hate the truth. Christ, Stephen, the first apostle, first disciple killed. All 10, not 10, 10 out of the 12 original apostles were all martyred, killed. This is heavy stuff. This is like, you know kind of a downer, right? You want to end up high. But I think Christ is asking you, will you stand firm? Knowing what is ahead. And if God, and I pray he does, if, but if God does not bring revival, if it doesn't come to our country, it is accelerating towards this, folks. It is rapidly going towards this. Are you ready for it? I don't know where you are as it relates to God's word and his truth and these messages over these last four weeks. Are, are you wandering from it? Are you listening to a different signal? Have you found other teaching that, as Paul says, sounds good, tickles the ears, but it's not that narrow road, Christ would say, come, follow the signal, get back on that narrow road. Turn back, recalculate. You know, there's one other response the Bible talks about to truth, uses it in different ways, but it's the response of standing firm in truth. And I can't tell you how many responses. I haven't had probably a message series 
with this many responses in years. It's just overwhelming. The number of people emailing or calling or talking to me after a service or before a service or out there. And it has really been overwhelmingly like positive. And what people are saying is, please keep standing. We're with you. We're praying for you. Thank you that you and the church, the elders, the pastors are, are united in this. I would say this church is filled with people who are standing firm. Paul says this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There are so many of us in this room that are standing together for the truth, standing firm persevering in truth. I wonder if this morning is one of those days again we come and say, Lord, it's not new. Maybe a bit worse out there. But I am standing on your word. I am on this narrow road. I'm not moving off of it. Lord willing, keep me on it. But I'm in, no matter what comes. I know what your word says could possibly come. I'm in. I invite the team to come up. You know, I think probably the best way to end this service is with your heart, your mind, body, spirit, Worshiping God. Nobody forcing you. Nobody saying this. You worshiping Him. I want to read a passage. It's not up on the screen. And Paul talks about being pressed down, being oppressed being overwhelmed and I'm trying to find it I have it in my old Bible I got this new Bible and now I'm like Ugh. don't you hate that when you get a new Bible and you don't know where it is I don't know about you sorry so just one second here second Corinthians I had it in my brain I read a different passage this morning but I just feel like I got to read that where is the press down one some of you who's hide chapter four second Corinthians four I'm looking at five here it is ah yes it's worth it We have this treasure in jars of clay. Treasure of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, salvation. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that death, so death is at work in us, but life is also in us. So we 
Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, not to what's going on around us, but we look to the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are transient, or the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a truth that we can't see with our eyes right now physically, but it's out there, and it is a day when we will be around the throne, and every, every tongue, every nation, every tribe will be in the presence of God, and we'll all be saying, you're the creator, made in your image. Praise you, Lord. You're the one that gave us the breath. You're the one that gave us the spirit. You're the one that gives us eternal life. I'll praise to you, and we'll sing our hearts out. We will. We'll just sing our hearts out. And it, huh, it won't matter if you've got a police record. It won't. It won't matter how many felonies you got. It's him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. No one. But when you come through Christ, ah, it's everything. Let's praise him.